Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damon here with my co-hosts, Matt and David. We have a wild, wild episode. As the winter meetings start, it's brought some big-time free agent signings. We've had a couple trades, um, and I think we've really started seeing the starting pitching market take shape. Uh, so we have an interesting episode here, but before we get into all that, how you doing, David? I'm doing good. You know, waiting for my team to, to get going. A lot, of, a lot of other teams are... Red hot right now and, and offering up some big contracts that we'll get into here in a little bit. It's uh, It's been fun checking my phone for Kevin Ken Rosenthal and Jeff Passan notifications. So uh, it's winter meetings time. It's an exciting week uh, to be a baseball fan in general. But, uh, you know, with you know a lot of teams still out there looking for big players and, and a number. All, I think three of the four shortstops are still available. So uh, we're looking forward to next week. Uh, how you doing, Matt? I'm doing pretty good. Just uh, been uh, hanging out. I'm, of course, I'm waiting on waiting on my team to actually do something too which probably probably won't happen but uh we'll see i um but yeah everything's going pretty good uh exciting time for for baseball fans i mean I, i've been hearing a lot of you know people frustrated about how the baseball offseason is not structured like some of the other off seasons where you have really like a period of time where free agents can sign and stuff but you know this is probably the closest week to it with the winter meetings there's a lot of, of activity clustered around the winter meetings so um, you know, it's been a bit of fun week, been a little bit of craziness, but, uh, you know, uh, everything's going well. Uh, hope, hope everything's going well with you as well. Uh, Damien. Yeah. I mean, while you guys have been waiting for your teams to make some, you know, big impactful moves, my team decided just to sign the best reliever available of all time in Shelby Miller. <laughs> so, you know, uh, we're looking pretty good over here in the, uh, in the Dodgers fandom, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, one interesting nugget as we get into this episode, you, Matt, you mentioned this week of the winter meetings. It's been played up like it's going to be big. We've had some big things happen already. It's the first time they've held in-person winter meetings in three years. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see the dynamic, how that's able to change. Obviously, we had the COVID shortened offseason, and then we've had the, um, you know, the lockout last year that didn't allow this to happen. So, uh a lot of a uh, lot of rumors and stuff already flying around, and, and obviously we're recording this on Monday, so the winter meetings just started today, and it's supposed to be a wild next couple of days. So I'm pretty sure we're gonna have to make an episode next week. But enough, uh, enough, kind of jumping around it. Let's go ahead and jump into. Uh, we'll start with the two trades that happened, uh, both involving the Milwaukee Brewers. But the first one is right as we got done recording last week, the Milwaukee Brewers and Los Angeles Angels uh, swung a trade with the Angels acquiring outfielder Hunter Renfro. Uh, for three prospects, the Brewers are getting Jace, or Jansen Junk, Elvis Paguero, and Adam Seminaris. Yeah, um, I'll start with Hunter Renfro. Um, this is a guy that I actually remember watching him in college. He played at Mississippi State, um, and I, I, he played in uh, the SEC baseball tournament. I, I remember him well from that. And then, of course, obviously he's had a good big league career so far with the Padres, Rays, Red Sox, and the Brewers in uh which is a lot of teams for as short as he's been around, but uh, he's a, he's a perfectly fine base uh, everyday player. Uh, you know, he's kind of the example of not a superstar, but a, a really solid everyday player. He's going to put up between two and three wins above replacement. He's a really nice, uh, re- really good power hitter. Uh, puts up high, uh, you know, home run totals, a, a good slugging percentage, 492 this past year, 501 in 2021. Low on base guy, uh, doesn't walk an awful lot, doesn't hit for a high average either. So uh, you know, kind of a you know, a little bit below average, maybe right around average on base. So a good hitter, 124 WRC plus this year. He's kind of stuck to the corner outfield. He's okay out there, not great, uh, not a great base runner, but he's a perfectly good everyday player. 
that you know is is very valuable and you know uh he kind of got what you got back for him was kind of what you would get back for just kind of a decent everyday player and some prospects who aren't really you know top of the line prospects but they're not they're not nothing either yeah those guys are not particularly great elvis Pagero was on the angels bullpen last year and he was not particularly good jansen junks maybe the cream of the crop here but uh kind of as his name suggests he's not a uh more than a, maybe a five or a you know a guy who can just get some starts uh, at this point in his career so you know these guys are all older pitching prospects kind of on the fringe of the 40 man milwaukee trying to load up with pitching depth here to support their front heavy rotation which also as they trade you know we'll go into the next trade as well but they did also state after making these trades they don't plan to move willie adamas corbin burns or what brandon woodruff and i think that's the most impactful move is that they sold a little bit but they were also kind of hunting value and with three pitchers, maybe they can do some development and, um, you know, keep their, their team where it is, I think, is the idea behind the Brewers here who are currently rudderless without David Stearns. Yeah, I mean, they've done a pretty good job at, at being able to, you know, turn pitchers into pretty solid arms that they can throw either in their bullpen, which is the thing they like to do, like throwing starters in the bullpen for a year, um, maybe even two, and then really let them develop that third pitch or whatever it is and, and then jump in the rotation that way. But uh, you know, just jumping into the second trade that also involved the Brewers, uh, it was them trading away Colton Wong to the Seattle Mariners and acquiring outfielder Jesse Winker and infield utility guy Abraham Toro. Yeah, so Colton Wong is really interesting because in his career, he's always been kind of a league average-ish hitter. In fact, his career WRC plus is exactly 100. So he's been a kind of a league average hitter, uh, a pretty decent base runner, and a really, really good defender. So, you know, which is a good player. He's kind of in that Hunter Renfro mold of a two to two to three win player every single year. And he, um, you know, obviously a lot different type of player than Hunter Renfro in just the fact that he's a more of a contact guy, uh, good on base, you know, not a, not a lot of slugging, uh, but plays good defense, good base runner, middle infield. Um, you know, this was his second year in Milwaukee. Uh, he he was great. he was really good at Milwaukee in his first year in 2021. Put up uh, you know a 110 WRC plus, which is a career high, and he actually upped that this year to 116. The weird thing about this year was this was by far the worst defensive season of his career by the metrics, which was really interesting because he put up his best offensive season, a good base running season, and if he had just been like his normal self defensively, he would have put up like a three and a half four win season. Like he would have been really really good this year if he was kind of with, along with his normal. Uh, career averages at second base so i don't know if maybe a little bit of that's you know aging he's up over over 30 now so maybe he's not just kind of declining a little bit in the field or or maybe milwaukee's positioning wasn't great or something too uh in fact both of his seasons in milwaukee he took a step back defensively from what he was when he was in st louis so uh you know if the you know if, if the mariners can figure out exactly what you know was going on there defensively with colton wong uh, and he could continue to hit like he did these past two years, then, you know, they could have a really good value on their hands here. And they gave up uh, Jesse Winker, who is a left-handed platoon bat. I mean, he hits right-handed pitching really, really well in, in general, but, you know, he's not a good defender. He's actually a terrible defender. Uh, probably should be DHing most of the time. He, he's kind of a platoon bat. He's, he's, when he, you know, when he's 
rolling against right-handed pitching, he could be really, really good. And Abraham Toro is a young guy who, you know, he, he was pretty good. Uh, he was he was a decent-looking prospect, and, uh, you know, but he, he really struggled in 2022 in 109 games. Uh, you know, a 62 WRC+. plus. A lot of that was Babbitt-fueled, but uh, really, really, really struggled. So maybe he'll uh, turn it around in, in uh, you know, in Milwaukee, but we'll see, so. There's a really crazy bit about Jesse Winker because if you think about how many guys who had a 140 WRC plus in two of the last three seasons uh, that would come available, you would have maybe said they were worth a lot more in terms of even just a bat first DH guy um, in Jesse Winker. But the problem, and this got turned on to me about a month ago, maybe two months ago now, was that Winker in Seattle was not preparing for games well per people like in the organization that broadcasted this on the radio so the tweet i have that said that uh winker's act became tired with the other players and he was the opposite of mitch hanniger when it came to preparing um and that he wasn't putting in work to improve defense or gain strength which we saw this year because his slugging was down from in the 500s in the his last two years in cincinnati down to 344 this year so i'm not sure if jesse winker maybe just didn't like seattle um, it is way off in the corner of the country. And this is a guy from, you know, he's, he's in Ohio, uh, for the most of his career, you know, middle of the country, a lot of you know, normal stuff. But when you're out in Seattle, it's just way away, uh, from everything else. And I don't know if he just didn't like it or, or what, but it seemed like his time in Seattle was done. They were ready to move on from him. And, um, a bat that has the potential to be this good. Don't, it doesn't come available very often. Uh, but it just kind of looks like Jesse Winker was putting, uh, just showing up to the park to play instead of putting in work. And it seems like uh, Milwaukee's taking on the risk that he will actually come to the park and, you know, get that that work ethic back on. That we can we can see the skill. You know, this is a guy who had a four, you know, three ninety OBP over two years um, before he he got traded to Seattle. Um, you know, I just don't I don't know whether this is a going to help the Brewers or not, but. You know, they're trying to trade out Wong for Toro. I think that's probably going to be a fine move overall. Toro's a lot younger, maybe a lot less consistent. But Winker's the prize here, and, and it's a big question mark on whether or not he can actually get back to that 2020-2021 uh, form. Yeah, and maybe a fresh start and getting him back to the division where he had a ton of success and, and being able to see you know the same competition where he had that success against. Um, maybe that's just what Jesse Winker needs and, and, uh, you know, swapping out Hunter Renfro for Jesse Winker. If you can get the Winker from the last couple of years in Cincinnati, you know, you know, you're not losing much there for whatever it's worth. Um, the, the scheduling this year, every team plays the other teams the same number of times now. Yeah. It'll so be... that the division thing doesn't quite mean as much as it used to when you had 19 per division. Um, so I don't. I mean, I, I, I I've forgotten 12. about that. So I think it's twelve but. per division still. So I mean, he's he's going to still be playing most of his games against the NL Central. Yeah. Right. So it, it counts. I but, was uh, not excited to hear he was coming back to the NL Central. What's worth? <laughs> yeah. But you know, let's go ahead and jump over and look at the reliever market because um, I think it's it's kind of been a little bit hotter than we would have expected. Um, you know, looking at the AAV wise, but uh, the Red Sox made a couple moves. Uh, one was signing the left-handed pitcher Jolie Rodriguez to a one-year deal with club option. Don't quite have the terms on that, so if either one of you guys have the the terms of the AAV um, on that one. Uh, but then they also signed uh, right-handed relief pitcher Chris Martin to a two-year, $17.5 million deal. 
Um, you know, Chris Martin, I, I can talk a little bit more on him because he came over midseason from the Cubs to the Dodgers. A uh, guy who doesn't walk anybody, um, you know, strikes out a lot. He had a 431 ERA this last year with the Cubs and a 302 FIP. But then when he got to the Dodgers, he had a 146 ERA and a 113 FIP. Um, and interesting enough, he actually he's usually a, a big time ground ball guy over 50 percent uh, with the Cubs this year. But when he got to the Dodgers, put that up to 40 or took that down to 43.6, was giving up a little bit more fly balls, um, but wasn't giving up nearly as many home runs per the fly ball. That percentage went from basically 21 down to four and a half percent. So uh, if he's a guy who can limit the the home run ball there and you know keep up the not walking anybody, he'll be a good impact reliever for uh, for the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, this one was kind of weird to me um, that they paid him, especially a, a two-year deal. I know he was really, really good this year, but it seems like you know about nine million dollars is a little bit uh, a little bit rich for a guy who you know he had a good half season in, in Los Angeles, but I mean he had really just been okay the last couple years. Uh, his big issue with Chris Martin has also been injuries. He's dealt with a lot of just nagging, like random injuries the last three years. Uh, he he spent two years two and a half years with the Braves. He had some really weird injuries. He had like an esophagus infection one time that kept him out for like a month. And, you know, he's, he, he's just dealt with stuff. Uh, he's really, really tall. Sometimes his mechanics can get a little disconnected too. Uh, I think you, sometimes you see that when you have like a run, like he had with the Dodgers, his mechanics were real connected. In fact, I think he's six, eight, uh, if I'm not mistaken, but um, yes, yeah, yeah. So he's um, but he's a good pitcher when he's own, and uh, you know he could help the Red Sox. They definitely need a bullpen help. And then Jolie Rodriguez is a guy who's he's just a kind of interesting lefty. Probably probably doesn't need to be facing too many righties. Doesn't throw super hard, but uh, you know he's he's got a pretty good strikeout rates. Uh, you know over ten per nine, and you know the the metrics, the the peripherals, the FIP is pretty good. This year, uh, he had a 4.47 ERA with the Mets, but you know a 3.23 FIPs, pretty good. 3.46 X FIP. Um, so you know he he's a guy that maybe has some some regression to the mean, and uh, we'll see what happens with him. Uh, you know, I think he's more of just kind of a value signing that maybe they can throw in there for some bullpen depth, maybe a second lefty out of the bullpen type guy. I really like the Chris Martin deal for Chris Martin. Yeah. Um, but these relievers, man, have been getting really big deals. And to this point, this is what I would have said. We heard today that Carlos Estevez got a massive contract, right? Or at least we got we heard that he was signing with the Angels. And, and me and Damian both jumped on the chat and were like, this is going to be a huge deal. Going to blow everything that we've seen away. Like, this guy is kind of unproven. He's been in Colorado. There's no way that this isn't a big, big contract, right? Because Chris Martin getting $9 million a year. After getting three million last year, he's a year older. I mean, he, I know he had a really good half with the Dodgers, but like this is like a thirty-seven-year-old guy. Like, I, I like Chris Martin. I I really did enjoy his time with the Cubs. He was a, a lockdown reliever, but this is a a big amount of risk for a, a smaller, you know, a smaller name. And even though it's only nine million overall, like these relievers are really getting paid. Um, which Joely Rodriguez made two million, by the way. Uh, but that does take us to that Carlos Estevez deal, which comes in with the Angels at two years, thirteen and a half million, which was significantly less than I thought it was going to be. I Carlos Estevez was one of the names that when I looked like for relievers that I wanted the Cubs to target, I circled his name on my list because this is a guy who throws a hundred. He's a big dude, um, and he's been in Colorado. He's been kind of sucked up by the Coors effect, where his ERA has been significantly worse than his peripherals, and his curveball doesn't really drop all that much, and. I really thought you get him out of Coors and you get him in anywhere else, he's going to kind of tick up and be one of those 
big relievers with a big arm that you can kind of see in the playoffs that you can give you know, meaningful innings to. I'm surprised it's the Angels, and I'm surprised it's only $14 million. I don't know if his agent maybe messed up his market or something, but I really felt like Carlos Estevez left money on the table given what we've seen from 99-mile-an-hour relievers so far in this offseason. Yeah, and actually, it's even under fourteen million. It's thirteen and a half, um, right. which I, I know it's not a big thing, but just the the AAV is not even touching seven million a year. Um, but you know, he's a guy who seeing him when he pitches in Colorado, it's a completely different thing than when he pitches away. Um, you know, looking at his career, an ERA at home of five point five seven, and on the road a three point five one, and there's a separation of about fifteen innings in there, but He's given up the same amount of homers uh, on the road as he has at home, but um, you know less triples, less doubles. Just that big outfield there. The opponent's batting average is forty points lower. And then even looking at the you know the FIP at home is a four forty two, and on the road it's a three ninety seven. Like he's a guy who his stuff will play up once he gets out of Colorado. There, that's why you know the market we heard was really flush for him. That there was over eleven teams involved in it. That's why we. David and I both thought the deal was going to be a lot bigger than what it actually ended up being. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see it, it. The early indications sound like it's probably going to be who the closer is for the angels. Um, but that's going to be a fluid situation, obviously. But if, if he is the closer um, and he has two years of closing experience and goes back out to the market at, what well, was it going to be 31 at that time? Um, maybe he gets a, a bigger deal there. But let's go ahead and, and jump over to the starting pitching market, which is another market that we've seen been really, really robust so far. We've seen guys get paid absurd amounts. Um, and we'll go ahead and, and kind of – I want to group all these ones together since they're a little bit uh, of the lesser tier, and then we'll kind of build up to the big ones. But uh, Mike Clevenger signed with the White Sox on a one-year $12 million deal. Uh, you had the Detroit Tigers sign Matthew Boyd to a one-year $10 million deal. Um, and then the Baltimore Orioles also signed Kyle Gibson to a one-year deal that we just got the terms on. It is also for $10 million. Yeah, I'll start with uh, Mike Clevenger. This was kind of a not I – di- I didn't like this signing very much. It, I, honestly, it, just, it kind of just depends on what the White Sox payroll looks like and what they're planning on getting to. I mean, if you have an extra $12 million in there to spend, then it's fine, but – uh, you know, I really don't think Mike Clevenger's a guy I would count on to be a, a key piece in your rotation. Maybe you take a flyer on him if you got room to. But this is a guy who, ever since his injury, has just hasn't looked very good. Uh, the injury started in 2019, and he just didn't really pitch all that well in 2020 with two different teams when he got traded. He had the controversy midseason with the, with Cleveland. Um, you know, he kind of bat- battled that injury with the um, – you know, with the Padres, he did have a 3.02 ERA, but it was only 41 innings, and the peripherals were not that good. And then in 2022, he's he was really really rough. 22 uh, 22 starts, 23 games. He uh you know he had a 4.33 ERA, a 4.98 FIP. Uh, just his velocity was way down. He came off a of Tommy John surgery, so you know it was maybe part of it was you know he needed a year to get back to normal. But he really didn't look good at the end of the season either. You know, we'll see what happens, but I think twelve million dollars is a little rich for a guy that. I mean, I'm not even sure if he's going to be a piece in, you know, a reliable piece in a rotation this year. So, uh, we'll see what happens with him. Um, you know, I wish him the best because I think injuries have a lot to do with it. But uh, I don't really like that signing all that much for the White Sox. Yeah. So, 
I, I compare the Matthew Boyd and the Mike Clevenger signings very similarly because it was not that long ago that both of those guys were cost-controlled starters on the trade market that their teams could have fetched a, a fortune for. Um, those are both guys that had put up really big seasons and they were re- pretty reliable. And, you know, it's been like one or two injuries for both of them. And now they're making $10 million and we're sitting here thinking maybe this is too much. Um, Boyd was not a starter last year, missed most of the year, missed most of 2021. Uh, he was also pretty ineffective from 2020 on. Um, and then, you know, you had Clevenger who's been ineffective since his trade and to the Padres. Uh, and that subsequent Tommy John. So uh, it seems like that's the running cost for a reclamation pitcher is about $10 million. Um, I, I'm not sure that I would, you know, want my team jumping on some guys like this. They're just really, really risky. Um, but the Tigers really need pitching. They know how to have success with Matt Boyd. So that makes some sense. The White Sox need pitching, um, presuming Lucas Giolito doesn't fix himself or get traded. So, you know, Mike Clevenger's got that good pitcher upside in him, but it's been a while. It's been injuries since, you know, I just, I can't possibly see it going more than, you know, Clevenger just eats a few innings for him. And speaking of eating innings, that Kyle Gibson deal, that's for an innings eater. He has not been amazing, but he's been very, very reliable in terms of uh, consistency and eating innings. Uh, for the Minnesota Twins for most of his career. Yeah, I agree on Kyle Gibson. He's he's a good innings eater. He's going to put up a low four ZRA probably uh, in general, and he'll throw uh, over 160 innings. And that's exactly what the Orioles need. They need depth in that rotation. They could probably use a top-of-the-line mm-hmm. starter too, but they, they just need bodies to fill that rotation while their young guys start to get acclimated to the big leagues. And remember, Kyle Gibson also has some uh, – you know, he's pitched out of the bullpen before. I think he pitched out of the bullpen some in the postseason. Uh, you know, in 2019, he pitched out of the bullpen some. Um, at the, so we'll, we'll see what happens with him. But, uh, you know, I think um, I think he's a good he's good candidate to be a nice swing guy. He had a 394 XFIP this year, which is not too bad. So uh, his 505 ERA was probably aided a little bit by the uh, Phillies' poor defense because he's more of a contact yeah. pitcher. So. Yeah, and he's going to a place in Baltimore that has a, a pretty good infield defense. Um, you know, it, it, they're just, it sounds like it'll probably be a guy that they'll flip at the deadline um, to a team that has pitching injuries that just needs that back of the rotation type starter. Um, yeah, it's not, not too much. It, the interesting fact, you know, David, you mentioned that this kind of the reclamation t- project type pitchers are kind of what they're going for. I mean, this is a bump up from what we saw last year. I mean, well, Heaney got I think eight million dollars last year, yep. and now you got Boyd getting ten, Gibson getting ten, Clevenger getting twelve. Um, so I mean, you're talking about a twenty-five to fifty percent jump right there for yeah, the reclamation I, I projects. I would have taken Heaney last year before any of these three guys yeah. this year. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I would have given Heaney twelve million for any of these guys right. last year. But um, you know, let's go ahead and jump over to the next tier, kind of the starting pitching market. That's with the. Tampa Bay Rays signing Zach Eflin to a three-year, $40 million deal. Um, And as surprising as that might sound, it is the biggest free agent deal in Tampa Bay Rays history. (laughs) That's pretty wild. And that's, yeah, yeah, that's not counting like extensions because Wander Franco and Evan Longoria's. Yeah, but that is wild, Uh, man. It's scary though, because I think Zach Eflin will probably go nuts, Um, you know, because he was one of those Saber darlings 
uh, early in this offseason that people were pointing out has got a lot of spin on his fastball and got a lot of spin on his slider, and he's throwing the right the right types of pitches to the, in this market. So to get $40 million from the Rays, that signals to me that they know exactly what they're going to do with him. Yeah, over the last three years, Zach Eflin has a um, – his FIP has been at least a half a run lower than his ERA the last three seasons. So typically you would say maybe that's a trend, but I'd also say that he played for the Phillies and defense mm-hmm. matters and that going to the Rays, the defense will be better. So uh, another thing to remember with Zach Eflin, too, is the fact that he did pitch out of the bullpen a lot this year, especially in the postseason. And that could be attractive to the Rays because of the way they use their openers and stuff. So if if Zach Mm -hmm. Eflin doesn't come out and pitch really, really well as a starter, if they try that first, he's a guy that might be a good candidate to be one of be an opener type, come out, face the lineup twice after, you know, somebody opens the first inning and, um, you know, be and have a lot of success in that role. So this is this seems like a really good fit for Zach Eflin to go to the Rays and uh, maybe be the next guy that everyone's like, why in the world did they we not see this coming? The, well, I, I got yeah. one quick thing, Damien. So Zach Eflin's contract also lines up as two eleven year or eleven million dollar a year contracts. Or like deals, so he's got two years for twenty-two million. That third year is where the Rays owe him like half the the contract. It's like eighteen million, so it's eleven, eleven, eighteen. So what the Rays I think will do is use him those first two years, then trade him that that second year or that third year, and try to cut under out from under the salary uh, that they'll owe Eflin. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Damn, <laughs> like 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 this lines up as as a perfect tradable contract for the Rays. Um, even even if they get into the middle of next season, um, you know, and it's not looking great for them, then you can trade him away, and those, that controlling team's going to get a year and a half of them plus two postseason runs, um, you know, and he'll still be twenty nine at that time. So I think that's going to be very very attractive um, to him. But it's going to be really fascinating to see what the Rays pitching factory is able to do with a guy whose baseball savant page is mostly red, um, right? So. All right, are we ready for the the two big ones, boys? Oh, buddy. Well, let's go ahead and start with it. Uh, the news really came out of nowhere on Friday, uh, Friday night, that the Texas Rangers have signed Jacob DeGrom to a five-year, $185 million deal that has a sixth-year option that could take it to a six for $222 million with a full no-trade clause. Well, there it is. Um you know, he'd been rumored. I, I'm surprised. I've been for, to start off. I've been surprised at how well the rumor mill has gone this year because in a lot of year, past years, these moves come out of nowhere. And he was rumored to go to the Rangers for a while. Um, so that's, but, but I mean, we can talk about Jacob DeGrom uh, now. He, he's obviously talent wise, probably the best pitch. Well, probably. He's definitely the best pitcher in baseball talent wise. I mean, by not even really that close. And, the fact of the matter is that when you you know he hadn't pitched much 2021 92 innings 2022 64 innings and these are all different nagging injuries um you know there's a lot of talk about how his mechanic how good his how much he's you know torques his body and his mechanics how how much harder he's thrown as he's aged and how that's such an unusual thing nobody knows has known how well he would stay healthy as he aged and that's kind of come back to bite him the last couple years uh so you know 
this is a huge commitment. Five years, you're going to be paying him a lot of money in each of the five years. You know, it's this might be the riskiest contract I've ever seen, but at the same time, it could pay off absolutely massively for the Rangers because they needed a good pitcher. They, their pitching's just not that good. And now you can throw in Jacob DeGrom at the top of the rotation, just the, the best pitcher in baseball to, to add to a pitching staff that just needed somebody, and you're getting the best. And, uh, you know, in this rotation, it's starting to look like it might not be all that bad. You got you got him. You got John Gray, who, who could be pretty good. You got Martin Perez, who had a good year last year. Uh, you know, Dane Dunning, some of these guys, that these younger guys that are going to be coming up. Uh, it's looking up a lot for them. So I'm very excited to see what Jacob DeGrom can do in, in, uh, in Texas, and I'm very glad that my Braves don't have to face him anymore. The way I – I had to think about this deal because what you're going to see is people going, oh, man, five years for a 34-year-old. Ooh, buddy, that's a scary deal. I went, all right, I have to think of this as would I want my team to sign Jacob deGrom to a five-year deal? And my instant response was absolutely. Uh, so, you know, the way this deal looks, I'm like, it is the perfect mix of risk and reward uh, for the Rangers because – Five years is a is a solid commitment. It's not the same as signing a ten year deal, you know. And on top of that, in theory, you know, you're getting the most talented pitcher in Major League Baseball. I mean, this guy is thrown fat. You're right, he's thrown faster. He's locates the ball just as well as he always has. Um, after the injury, he still looked really dominant. I I can't help but wonder whether or not you know this will go downhill. But we are seeing multiple guys now. You know, Scherzer, Verlander, you know, they're aging up, but it doesn't seem like their stuff is going anywhere. I wonder if DeGrom is just the next in line and that the Rangers kind of got out ahead of this, whereas if DeGrom had been, you know, signing multiple, you know, short-term $40 million a year deals, he may have actually made more money if he was having the kind of success that Scherzer and Verlander have. So, you know, I, th- this is exactly what the Rangers need to do. And, and Damien and I calculated it. Uh, what, what did they spend, Damien? Like $715 million on free agents in two off seasons? Yeah, it was something like that. I know we were joking and, and you said that they need $284 million more is what they would need to reach $1 billion over yep. the, the past two off seasons or whatever. But, you know, I, I love this deal. I, I do. I will jump to the next deal here in a minute. But. I like this deal more than I like that oh, deal. Oh, yeah, me too. Same. Um, and, and we'll get into that here in a second. But just for, for me, what Jacob DeGrom, what he can be, this deal is worth every single penny. I mean, he's going to average, what is it, $37 million, um, $37 million a year on this deal. Um, and when, he, when he's on, he's the best pitcher in the game. He's the most talented guy out there. He's the most dominant guy out there. And honestly, I think part of it is I think he needed to get out of New York. I mean, we make fun of the Mets so much for everything that happens there. But I think Jacob deGrom really seemed like a guy who needed a fresh start there. I mean, get get a fresh medical staff, get to a team who's I know they the Mets have been re-energized by Steve Cohen, but go to somewhere that is not the the, you know, eye of the media like New York is not that he's afraid of that or anything, but just give him somewhere to reset. I think Bruce Bochy is going to be a big play in here for, for a guy like Jacob deGrom and they're not done in the rotation. I mean, Matt, you mentioned that, you know, they have, you know, a solid top three right now. 
they're still in the market. There was talk that they're still in on Carlos Rodon. They could make a play for Kodai Sanga. I mean, they could be involved in the trade market. I mean, they are even Bruce Bochy came out today and said that we aren't done. Like we're here to play games. We're not, uh, or we're not here to play games. We're here to win. And that we're, we're serious about continuing to add to this team. They could go out there and still make big impact moves. I was joking with David and, you know, highly, highly doubtful that it happens. Uh, but we were mentioning, you know, that 284 million. I said, I heard that there's a pretty good outfielder right there out on the market right now. And that they still need one of those. Like, they go make a play for that. And I would not be surprised at all. You know, we, we talk about markets and we talk about New York and Chicago and Los Angeles being kind of the premier markets in the country. Dallas should generally be considered that. And the Rangers historically have not been a big market, especially in Texas. You know, the Houston's been the bigger market and the bigger spending team. Um, but with this and, you know, in theory with the, you know, coming kind of pre- pre- presumable Rangers renaissance, I would think that, you know, Dallas needs to be considered a a bigger market, you know, going forward, I think. The thing is, they get outshadowed by Houston so much. I mean, just as far as the baseball team's terms. I mean, being in Arlington, it's hard to live up to the Cowboys, you know, for the Rangers and, and stuff, and even the Mavericks um, at times, too. So, anyways, Matt, go ahead. No, I just, you know, I, I don't totally disagree i think the biggest problem with the rangers is i think they got the money they just haven't been good in a long time and i think that people are just kind of like i mean people forget i mean even back in like the you know back in the day they they paid alex rodriguez all that money too i mean it they've Mm -hmm. been they've been paying players a lot of money for a long time they just missed on a few of them had some bad contracts i mean they're not gonna have the money that the dodgers or the the yankees or the mets have so you know, that, that nobody's going to have that money. But the Rangers do have a, a really nice market there. And, and I think people don't talk about them as much just because they haven't been good, even though I think they, for the most part, they have spent fairly well in the past. So, yeah, for what it's worth, I think those contracts they give out last year are all looking pretty solid. I mean, Marcus Simeon didn't have as good a year, but he was yeah, still really, really good on defense. I was going to say, the metrics looked really good the on The others him. were great. Like, he, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the others were great. Yeah, so. He had a horrendous start to the season. Like the first half right. of the season was horrendous. The second half looked like the the Marcus Simeon we saw in Toronto. Um, so they they just need to get that and make a couple more moves there. I need to I need to do Anadolis Garcia throw out as well um, because he's really good. Twenty twenty season. I know we haven't talked about him. Um, and then Nate Lowe as yeah. well was really good for them last year. I think the Rangers got a little little something for him this year. Houston's going to be tough to beat though. We got they they made an addition too. We'll have to get to it, but. Yeah, that'll be a battle. Watch out for your predictions in this division, because I have been burned two straight yeah. years. All right. <laughs> All right, buddy. Uh, but let's go ahead and go to from Jacob DeGrom to Jacob DeGrom's old team. And that was the New York Mets got their Jacob DeGrom replacement. They went out and signed Justin Verlander, the reigning AL Cy Young Award winner, to a two year, $86.6 <laughs> million dollar deal. That's going to have $43.3 million over the first two years and a $35 million option on the third year with a full no-trade clause. Matt, I know you're waiting for this one. At the age of 40, the New York Mets will be paying Justin Verlander $43.3 million, and Max Scherzer at the age of 39, over $40 million as well. Man, I, I just I don't understand. I think, I think Justin Verlander is probably going to still be good. 
but you look at his projected numbers and stuff. I know he had a first off. Let me let me let me say Justin Verlander was fantastic this year and the Cy Young winner. He was he was great. But looking forward at it for a 40 year old, you know he he dealt with some fatigue down the stretch this year. Had a couple of you know soft tissue injuries. Would it look great in the postseason? And I mean the projections still have him being a really good pitcher next year. I mean they have him you know you know in the mid three mid threes ERA. But man. $43 million per year. That's something I think you would be pitching. You know, you'd be given a guy who, you know, is going to be the best pitcher in baseball. And this just, this feels like a Steve Cohen signing a guy who has star power and he knows the name more so than it sounds like somebody spending their money wisely. Of course, who knows? Like, like I've said before, I, I said it earlier about one of the, about the white Sox taking a flyer on, on somebody who knows how much money that, what their limit is. So if they don't have a limit, then you might as well. But, um, it's not like it's a long-term contract that you're going to, you know, limit yourself five years down the road with a horrible contract or something. I mean, you know, if it's bad, then, you know, you pay him two years and he's gone. So, but man, it, it just feels like a, a, it just feels like a, it feels like that's a lot of money to pay a 40 year old. And I mean, I said before, Justin Verlander's still really, really good. I mean, he was obviously the best pitcher in baseball in 2022 and he very well could be again in 2023. But as an opposing fan, I'll very, very, very happily trade, you know, have the Mets trade Jacob DeGrom for Justin Verlander. I mean, I, I really would. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens here. I, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I think that Justin Verlander is going to do well there. I don't think he's going to repeat 2022, but I think he'll do good. And uh, we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting. I... <sighs> Look, I've been burned on on talking about exactly these types of deals before, man. I was I was skeptical about the Scherzer deal that he's already pitched well. I was skeptical about Verlander's deal last year, which was what, 25 million? I was like, "Man, that's a lot for a guy who's 39 off of Tommy John." And now he just went out, got himself another contract and yeah, Verlander said he wants to pitch till he's 45, and I'm sitting here like, man, we haven't seen a guy pitch into his 40s since, like, Jamie Moyer, you know, like, or Bartolo alone. You know, it's it's like it's never guys with high velocity and great stuff. But what we're seeing right now is a a influx of – and maybe this is – maybe this is the wrong word. It's the like unprecedented amount of older pitchers with really, really good stuff that have maintained it deep into their 30s. And when Verlander's case, he'll now be 40 – with expected, you know, great stuff. So I genuinely have no idea what to make of this because we have literally not seen it since the steroid era for, you know, guys pitching deep into their forties with, you know, with good stuff, like since like Roger Clemens, you know what I mean? When he was, you know, on HGH and stuff, it's like, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to, I'm not saying anything, you know, Verlander's a hall of famer right now. If he retired today, he'd be a hall of famer. And you know, we'll talk about another Hall of Famer right now, and that's another guy who's getting better as we go. But it's just – this is crazy to me that we are seeing guys – and teams are getting comfortable throwing big money at old players that just keep playing and they keep excelling. Yeah, I don't know if it's as much of teams get being comfortable throwing big money at them as much as it's that a couple teams feel comfortable throwing money at them, like – especially the Mets. The Mets. Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> yeah, Mets are throwing yeah, – and, I mean, but, you know, we talk about – It's working. But, it, but is it? Because we talked about Scherzer. Yeah, Scherzer had multiple injuries this year. He was very good when he pitched. We had multiple injuries this year, and down the stretch he got fatigued and was bad in the postseason again, like last year. I mean, 
and they and they got shelled in the wild card series, and they and they they cost them their season. I mean, so I mean Scherzer was great. Don't get me wrong. Like I would gladly, I would definitely take what Scherzer gave the Mets this year for for my team. But like at the same time, like you know, there's a lot of you know. It, there's a lot to be said about these, you know, the inconsistency of having a 40 year old pitcher be your ace and, and then two of them. I mean, can you rely on that? I mean, the, honestly, the Mets got lucky Scherzer pitched as much as he did this year with the amount of injuries he had. I mean, he had a lat injury and he had a shoulder injury and it's like, you know, he, he had all kinds of stuff. So I wonder, right. And, and, and this is, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll venture off into speculation. I, I wonder if there's a way to make this work to optimize this, right? You know, we know the Mets aren't going to find it, whatever it is. The Mets are going to throw those guys out there for 200 innings if they can. But, you know, is there, a, if, if you had the Rays, you know, in control of a Justin Verlander at age 40, would they find a way to get him working for the full 162 games and in the postseason for maximum performance? I think they would. I think they would adopt a six-man rotation yeah. or you know, skip his his turn. You know, they would say, oh, you're only throwing 150 innings. Treat him like a young pitcher, right? You can only throw 150 innings. So if we get you to 120 innings and we need 30 innings from you in the playoffs, we shut you down. We wait for the playoffs. I wonder if that's something that, that needs to be considered for these types of guys uh, where you can get value out of those guys later in their career and keep yeah, them Yeah, and, and, you know, one more point here is, you know, like I said before, I said it thinking that DeGrom was going to go back to, to New York, but, you know, Steve Cohen's running this team like a fan. You know, he runs this team like, because he is a fan. That's why he bought the team. It's because he's a Mets fan and he had the money to. So, you know, I think sometimes when you're, you've got somebody, it's almost like Jerry Jones a little bit, you know, when you're wanting, he just wants to sign a guy who, you know, he knows the name. It's a celebrity pitcher that's been really – I mean, I'm not saying Verlander's not going to be good. I'm just saying, like, you know, he's not going to always make the smart baseball move. He's going to throw a bunch of money at somebody he, who is a future Hall of Famer that he wants to see coach – I mean, pitch. There's – yeah. But, there's more There's more issues, no, I, too. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, I, I was going to say the one thing that I that I don't mind so much about, about these deals is that they're – it's not like they're doing these deals for five or six years, right? Seven years at that for, for these guys. Mm -hmm, it, yeah. They are short-term high AAV deals. Like it's a one, it's a two year deal. Uh, it's two year deal for, for Verlander. We'll see what the option looks like. Um, you know, and, and with what he's coming off the season, he's coming off of, even if he regresses, you know, back to what was he in, you know, 2019, he had a two fifty eight ERA. Like, it's not like his stuff is bad all of a sudden. I think he's, he probably got lucky this year with with playing with the Houston defense. Uh, and, and, you know, he, his strikeouts were down, uh, but he wasn't walking people as much. He's got his commands got a lot better late in his career. Um, so it, it's just a deal that, you know, I, I don't hate it as much as other people do, but I still like the DeGrom deal a lot better. I, it's high risk, but it's not high risk for a long term. It's only a couple mm -hmm. year thing. And the Mets have, I mean, Cohen said right away, like he's going to spend money, but the first couple years of his ownership is going to be high payrolls. It's going to be spending money. It, it's a lot like what the Dodgers did when the Wasserman group bought them from Frank McCourt back. What was it? 20, 
2014 or 2012 or something right around there. They made that big trade for Josh Beckett, Adrian Gonzalez, Nick Punto right away, took on all the salary, had high payroll, but that was so that they could build the farm system up. They could build the development plan up. They can bring up their own prospects from that time and then use their big money to supplement in at times and, and pay that young core up. That's exactly what the Cohen, what Cohen's doing here. Like you had to respond by losing to Grom and you just pay Verlander for two years, which kind of fits into your timeline of making sure you're starting to build that strong farm system at that point. They're almost, I think they said that they're eight or $10 million away from that fourth tier of the luxury tax. Ironically, the Steve Cohen part of the luxury tax rule. Um, but this will be the second year going over. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them at like somehow next year, be able to reset somehow. Um, or, or even if they don't do that, you know, reset next season, that'll be the last year that they go into it and they'll be under after that. Um, but they, they had to make something to respond because it, they were in on the Rodon market, but I don't think that they wanted to go to, you know, what we've hearing for his market six years, um, you know, at 180 million is, is stuff numbers that are starting to be floated out for Rodon, which, you know, with his health concerns that he's had the past couple of years, you know, you, you kind of take the, the track history of Verlander over what right, Rodon yeah. showed this year and what he might be with his medicals. Um, and you had to respond somehow. Uh, and, and that's to another move that we'll talk about here uh, in a little bit. That's been rumored a lot for that division, but I do have know, one more, one more okay. quick Mets note um, is that they're, the pitching rotation behind Scherzer and DeGrom or not DeGrom anymore, rather Verlander is very, very light. Um, yeah. I like they're David still involved. Yeah. They're going to have to add somebody else. I like David Peterson. I think he's a good pitcher. Tyler McGill's got good stuff, but he doesn't always get good results. And Carlos Carrasco is another older guy that they're going to have to rely on this year. So, and they've lost Tywin Walker. They lost Chris Bassett. The, the Mets are another pitcher away at least. So, you know, throwing that much at Verlander may limit who they can grab here. And that may be not I good. Was, I was going to mention too, that they're, you know, that's not to mention the fact that, you know, they still need an outfielder. I mean, Brandon Nimmo's a free agent. They have, they don't have yep. anybody that can play center field. I mean, I guess you could, if you, in a bind, you could throw Starling Marte out center, but no, you don't want to do that. So every day. So, no, not right now. I mean, it, it's, they need somebody so yeah i mean the worst comes to worst they could they could sign a guy like kiermeyer in the outfield i mean he's not great but it's somebody who can get a low low value there they they there's stuff that they're still involved with walker they're still involved with bassett they really like jameson Tyon, so they're still involved in that pitching market um as well so i, I do still expect them to make another yeah but let's go ahead and, and cool things down a little bit, give ourselves a breather before we jump into the, the couple other big ones. But uh, that's we'll start with the Pirates signing first base, Carlos Santana to a one-year $6.7 million deal, um, their biggest free agent deal since 2016. And then we'll talk about the Washington Nationals signing uh, Heimer Candelario to a one-year $5 million deal. Yeah, uh, Carlos Santana is going to be a good clubhouse guy to throw in, in, in you know, for the Pirates, who are starting to call some players up. Um, you know, they... They still still primarily a, a farm system type thing here, but uh, it was very interesting. That was the biggest free agent deal they've signed since 2016 for six point seven million dollars, uh, which is kind of crazy. But I mean, they don't sign anybody in free agent most of the time, except for like 
you know, minor league deals or, or really, really cheap deals. Of course, you know, last year, Jose Quintana ended up being a steal as, as a free agent. So it's not like they haven't ever gotten a good free agent, but, um, you know, or one that turned out good. But, um, but yeah, Carlos Santana did, you know, I think that's going to be fine. He's going to get on base too, which everyone, we all know he's going to get on base. Um, so, and then Jamer Candelario is a guy who, uh, you know, he's had a couple good years, got non-tendered, uh, was bad last year. Maybe the Nationals find something in him because, I mean, they're rebuilding. They need warm bodies, and this is a guy with some upside. Maybe they could flip if they needed to. I, I preached the, the Cubs going after Candelario. I'm rather upset that, that he already went to the Nats. The Nats have a really good little switch hitting bat here. Uh, and this guy is a guy who got has gotten better over his career and qualmed some doubts during his prospect tenure that he could play third base. I remember uh, that a lot of the reports were that he was going to have to move off of third base pretty quickly, and he's been pretty average out there. So I, I, I'm, yeah, the Cubs are going to sign a third baseman at some point, and I'm going to be kind of complaining as to why it wasn't Jamer Candelario because – He's he's got upside. He was bad last year, but Detroit as a whole was bad last year, so I don't trust that result. Um, but you know, I think the Nats flip him at the deadline for some decent prospects, and a team picks up a, a good solid switching infielder um, that will help them in the postseason. Yeah, it's it was kind of shocking to see him get DFA because he had you know a couple good years. I mean, the twenty twenty season and then the twenty twenty one season was was pretty good for him. Um, so it was rather shocking. He, and even with Detroit, I mean, I don't think they're getting ready to compete this season. But um, to give up on on him and you know with selling low pretty much and just non tendering him was was pretty interesting. But uh, let's go ahead and move over to the big first base signing that we had, and that's with the Houston Astros signing first baseman Jose Abreu to a three year sixty million dollar deal uh, with. Uh, another note was that the Guardians also offered him a three-year deal. We don't know the total value on that, but he chose the Astros. Yeah, Jose Abreu is a uh, very, very good player. Um, just a very consistently good hitter. Um, his career worst season was a 114 WRC plus back in 2018, but the last three years, 164 in the short season of 2020, in which he did win MVP. Uh, 2021 at 125 this year, 137 WRC plus. He actually ran the lowest strikeout rate of his career this year too, which was really nice. Uh, he's going to play every day. His power numbers were down a little bit this year, which is kind of worrisome. But, um, I think, uh, you know, I think that, that the White Sox, uh, I mean, the White Sox are, are losing a really good player and, and that the Astros probably needed somebody. And, and this guy, honestly, is like a perfect replacement for Yuli Gurriel. Is he, he's, what he brought this year for, for Houston is exact. I mean, for uh, Chicago, is exactly what, what Yuli Gurriel has brought for the, uh, for the Astros So in the past. So, uh, you know, I don't know if Abreu is going to be able to continue to play first base long term. Uh, because, you know, the defense continued to decline. And he's 35 years old. So, but we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm very, um, I'm very interested in the signing, and I honestly think it's an upgrade over over what they got from Yuli Gurriel this year. Yeah. So, here's here's what I see when I see this deal for Jose Abreu is that the Astros are the defending World Series champs, and they are not concerned in the slightest about riding the the coattails of winning a championship kind of trying to erase the 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 dark cloud that was the 2017 playoffs um they are in kill mode 
they are trying to go out and repeat. And it's the kind of thing that we, you know, we haven't seen from a world, the attitude that we haven't seen from a World Series champ in a while. Um, you know, it, maybe to some degree the Dodgers, but I, I think that that they were just more in less of a position to sign anybody that that offseason, unless I'm incorrectly timing out Freddie Freeman. But no, I think he was after the Braves no, World Series. So yeah, no, it, it was it divided it up. So I, really, we haven't seen a World Series you know team go out fill their pretty much only lineup hole um, right at the start of the offseason by outbidding everybody. You know, we we have a, a number for the Cubs, which was two years, forty million, which was exactly what I thought that Abreu would sign for. I thought maybe you'd have to go to 44, 46, something to actually get him a, a board. Um, I presume the Indians were in a, or Guardians were in the same boat. The Astros went to the third year that they'll be paying a 40 year old Jose Abreu to play first base. That's got its inherent risks. And I understand why, you know, the, the guardians and the Cubs weren't necessarily willing to do that, but it definitely would sting because Abreu was easily the best, like bat, pure bat on the market. And now those teams are going to be looking at JD Martinez, Trey Mancini, Josh Bell, just less reliable guys um, over the last few years. So Abreu was, a big loss for the White Sox. They are, they are going to really need to, to shore up the lineup if they want to contend again this year. And um, it, from what we've seen, they haven't done anything yet and they haven't really been connected to any of those first basemen that I just mentioned. So um, it is, you know, frightening for the White Sox and it's frustrating for some of these other teams that the, the world series champs just keep getting richer. Yeah, it, it does sound like they might even go in-house with either Andrew Vaughn or Gavin Sheets at first base. Um, and it, it it feels like they're a team that are trying to retool in a way and figure out, because there was even some rumors that broke right before we started recording that you know Liam Hendricks has come up in trade discussions with other teams and that they'd be open to doing that. Uh, but then we see them sign a guy like Mike Clevenger to a one-year $12 million deal. Um, and there's been some rumblings that, you know, a guy like Giolito could be traded and it just feels really weird around the whole white Sox right now. And, you know, losing your, your clubhouse guy, losing your rock, you know, of your team, your anchor of that lineup. It's, it's going to be very, very hard to replace any of that. Um, you know, with any of the guys left on the market for, you know, that, that we know out there. No, but I was Matt, just going to say, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, this is a situation where ownership's kind of getting in the way and being a problem. So, yeah, I mean it's a huge pickup for for the Astros. I mean they're replacing the the production of Yuli Gurriel and, and Trey Mancini, who when he came over wasn't very good for them last year, with a guy who you know can bat over three hundred, get on base at thirty seven percent of the time. I mean it's it's a fantastic deal, and that lineup just gets even scarier. I mean, was that one through one through six? I think I saw it's going to be like Altuve, Pena, Bregman. Um, Jordan. Abreu, Jordan, and Kyle Tucker. Yeah, yeah. like nice. making through, and then they're still involved with Wilson Contreras and trading for Sean Murphy potentially. Like they could Gosh. add something to that catching thing, you know, where you're gonna have like, but Chaz McCormick and whoever else decides to be in that lineup. I don't, I don't know who else the other one would be. That's um, and, that you have to face. Why, that's why you can hold, have a Chaz McCormick who actually isn't that bad of a hitter. But he's certainly not, not the same tier as those other guys. And then Martin Maldonado. Like, you can start those guys when your first six is what you just said. I mean, good grief. Yeah, I mean, you might, you might not even have Maldonado starting if you get Contreras or Murphy. 
I mean, right. that's the thing. You're talking about a seven there. Uh, but yeah, it's just the rich getting richer and they have a good pitching staff, even for losing Justin Verlander. I mean, you have six guys, seven guys that can still be, you know, very good rotation arms there. But uh, let's go ahead and jump over to the other big, big signing that we had happen that broke today. Uh, it's one that's been rumored even since before the season really ended. Um, and that's with the Philadelphia Phillies signing Trey Turner to an 11 year, $300 million deal, uh, full no trade clause as well. So the three big signings we've had with DeGrom, Verlander and Trey Turner all got full no trade clauses. Uh, and there is no opt outs in the deal. So a straight 11 year, $300 million deal, $27 million AAV average for Trey Turner. Yeah. So, um, Trey Turner's a really, really good player. And I think that he's going to make the Phillies a lot better. Um, I don't know if I would have gone 11 years on him. Uh, he's 29 right now. He'll be 30 this year. He'll be, he'll be 40 years old by the end of this deal. Uh, which I mean, for the, somebody with his profile of him being like a speed first contact hitting guy, uh, that's kind of scary, but, um, I mean, he's going to really help them for a couple years. And I think Dave Dombrowski's had a pattern of bringing in guys on long contracts when they, you know, to, to try to, you know, decrease the AAV and go through runs to try to, you know, be, be aggressive and, you know, making post seasons and, and making world series runs. And then, things kind of following apart after four or five years of him being there. I think this is part of it. I think he helps them and makes them a, you know, closer to a world series contender for the next three or four years. But, uh, you know, I think long-term it's probably going to be a bad contract, but sometimes that's the price you got to pay if you want to win a world series. So, uh, I think it's a, you know, it's obviously going to help them a lot. It's a good move for the Phillies. I think, um, you know, Trey Turner is a huge upgrade over, uh, I don't even know who they were. Ed, Edmundo It'll be Sosa. I mean, yeah, I guess. No, yeah. stop. No. Well, Stottle moved to second. Well, I was, yeah. No, I, I, he was playing short. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Sosa, Edmundo Sosa was playing short most of the end of the regular season. Did they, de- did they DFA Gene Segura, or is he still they there? They declined he, his yeah, option. He's gone. Okay, yeah. All right, so then it's technically a Gene That's Segura replacer. Yeah. Um, but uh, the 11 years thing is the shocking yep. thing here. Um, and that, that actually drops the AAV down to like $27 million for Trey yeah. Turner, which... I was pretty surprised, but I was kind of we, we all probably assumed three hundred million. I, I feel like that's right at the number that I think a, uh, Trey Turner was going to take. Like, not that not that that was like that's like a definitely high on the the end of the projected contracts yeah. that we were seeing. But if you were if he was going to like take the deal right there, sign the contract, it was probably going to be like a three hundred million dollar deal. But I was expecting like eight years for three hundred million. You know. I think actually I p- I picked that he was going to have a three hundred million dollar deal. I think I said I think um, I might have said like eight for two sixty or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I was eight at two fifty or whatever. Didn't I say three hundred though? Um, let me pull it up. Pull it I'm pretty up sure right I did. This second. Um, and you but I was thinking eight way at three hundred. Look at that. Yeah. So to the Phillies. Yeah. So it, it, it's funny because I was really not expecting eleven years. Um, and that's kind of shocking to me that. He got that much, but I think that doing things that are egregious are going or what it's going to have to take to get guys in this market. Cause really what's the difference at this point when you're paying a 38 year old trade Turner versus a 40 year old trade Turner, it's, it's pretty negligible at that point when you've won a world series by the time you get there, or you're at least planning to. So, you know, if, if I'm the Phillies, I'm fine with this deal. It's, it's similar to the Bryce Harper mold he and Trey Turner are going to be on the same team for a long time. So 
you know, Philadelphia is a big market. They, they're a big baseball team city that expects success. They've just made the world series. They're riding high on fan, uh, on their fans. And they're going to be expecting those fans to come out and buy Trey Turner jerseys and watch the, the upcoming seasons because, you know, they're going to be a fun team to watch again. It, it, it's funny enough that you say that Bryce Harper and Trey Turner are going to be on the team for a very long time because we've seen it in Washington, first of all. Um, But their contracts fully align with each other. Their contracts end at the same exact time now. Um, And I mean, we could say the 11 years are shocking. It is. But at the $27 million AAV, that is not a, that is not a deal that cripples you. Like I take that deal a hundred times out of a hundred. I don't care what the last three years of that deal look like for Trey Turner because it's only a $27 million AAV and Trey Turner's a good enough player that he will, he'll still be effective at that time. Like I know we, we play up a lot about what his speed, like he has the speed as part of his game, watching him every single day, the speed, I mean, it is a big part, but it's not like his whole game. Like he is still a very good hitter in general. Like his speed allows him to turn the single into a double or the double into a triple but he's still a very good hitter. He still has a decent amount of power. I mean, he'll hit over 20 homers. I mean, especially going to to Citizens Bank Park, he'll probably be upwards of 28 or 25 homers, you know, getting close to that 30 mark again. I mean, here's a stat for Trey Turner's 212 games as a Dodger. He went hitless just 34 times in those 212 games. And even, no, no, it gets even crazier. Even though he went hitless, in just 34 games, he only failed to reach base out of 212 games 21 times. Golly. He only failed to reach base 21 times in 212 games as a Dodger and only didn't get a hit in 34 times. He had multiple, I think he had five or six different hit streaks of over 20 games as a Dodger in a season and a half. Like, he knows how to hit. He, he's he's a guy who will be productive and being able to get at that $27 million AAV. Like I know we're all talking about 30 million or upwards of 30 million is what we were expecting here. I mean, he got less money overall and AAV wise than Corey Seager got last year. I mean, right. I think every single one of us, I mean, I know and Corey Seager was 27, but still like, I think if you would have asked who would you rather have, would you rather have 20 Trey Turner at 27 million or Corey Seager at $32.5 million a year? I bet at least seven people take Trey Turner at $27 million a year. Like, yeah, I I think I would. Yeah. I I don't, I don't think this deal is as bad as everyone is, is shocked at the 11 years. And I, I understand he's going to be 40 at the end of it, but I don't care what that last three years looks like of that deal. If you're going to get the production of Trey Turner. Well, well, we know Dave Dombrowski doesn't care because for one thing, he'll probably be retired by then. So he's not going to get fired. And for another thing, like, I mean, you know, there's a good chance that this helps them win a World Series now. And, I mean, they're going to be bad then anyways because Harper's also going to be 40 and get paid like $30 million. And, like, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. And, of course, with inflation too, I mean, who knows what contracts will look like at that mm-hmm. point. $25 million might look like nothing at that point. So, but um, but we'll see. I think, um, I mean, like I say, I think this makes them a lot better. I mean, Trey Turner's a good player. And you know, as we've talked about. And I mean, I, it, I think the biggest thing is going to be interesting to see how he ages. Are you going to get the 2022 Trey Turner for 
for two more years or are you going to get it for five years? I think that's kind of what's going to determine how good this contract is. Yeah, I mean, well, it's going to be an interesting one to see for Philly, um, for sure. But here's one, here's one final thought regarding the free agent market and the shortstops with regard to Trey Turner before we kind of close down here. Um, Twenty-seven million as what was probably considered the top position player at shortstop mm-hmm. at this market. That does set the market a little bit lower for these shortstops, and. I think I was thinking about it with because we've heard deal or the Cubs are involved in all three of the other guys pretty severely. We never really heard them involved in Trey Turner. So I've been looking, you know, following those a little bit more severely. My thought was like, if you wanted to beat if, if Scott Boris, who I believe has Bogarts and Correa, correct, wanted to say my guy is better than the Trey Turner he could very easily take a Xander Bogarts to a team and be like, look, if you just give him $30 million a year for six or seven years, that's, you know, that, that'll get it done. And if the, if that's the kind of thing that, you know, I want to see for the Cubs, but that's even maybe a little bit lower than I was expecting. They would have to go to, to get a Xander Bogarts. And, um, you know, Correa may only be, he may be looking for a 10 year deal, but if he's getting like 10 years, three ten, that may end up being a pretty good deal overall. Because you're still only getting thirty million or so a year. I don't know if the the those players can actually convince these teams to pay thirty two to thirty five million a year for their players with Trey Turner going for only twenty seven a year. Well, here's the thing: is that the thing is with that is Trey Turner took eleven years yeah. to do it. So Boris is going to play because especially with the Korea market, Boris is going to play the well. He's younger, and he he's younger than Trey Turner, and so we already talked about 11 years, probably right there, 11 to 12. And then he's, he's going to make the, the Seager argument from last year at 32 and a half and say, well, that's where it needs to start. It needs to start at 11 to 12 for 32 and a half. Now I'm not saying that's, that that's what Correa is going to get, but that's where Boris is going to start it at now. Like he has his market. It's like what I, I, I just told you a little bit ago. He, he's got his market for Correa. He knows exactly where that's going to go. I think the Bogarts thing is different. I, as weird as it is, they're the same position, but I think the markets are different there. Like, I think you're, you know, where you're, where Bogarts kind of stands with teams where Correa stands with teams. I mean, there might be a little bit of overlap with, you know, if it's the Cubs or if it's, um, I don't know who else has Bogarts been connected to, I guess the Dodgers potentially, but there's, you know, there's more rumors of like Bogarts to the Cardinals than there is Correa. Like that, it's going to be very hard there. And then especially with, you know, I think the next shortstop to go is probably going to be Dansby because Dansby, what he asked the, the Braves offered him what I think is a hundred million and he countered with 150 million. So what I think it's, it's Boris has his market set for Correa between Seager and Turner. And now you're going to wait to see what kind of Swanson's thing. And you're going to slot Bogarts in the middle of those. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens because I think Dansby's market is just totally different from these other ones, just because he's the next. He's right. on the next tier of free agents, like Bogarts, Correa, and and uh, and of course, um, you know, until today, Trey Turner. They were on like a completely other playing field, is what Dansby's on. Dansby's gonna command something less than 150 million dollars unless somebody really overpays for him, and which is possible, but. You know, these other guys are going to command the 200 to, you know, it's, it's a lot more. It's, it's a different playing field. 
I I like I don't think Dansby should be going because he he will have there will be overlap in his market. I think the the Cubs have already been connected to him and they'll be connected to Correa. The Cardinals may be one of those teams that bids like 100 to 120 million for Dansby, but that may be his best fit honestly, which will irritate me to no end when he's in there smacking a two-run home run with Goldschmidt and Arenado on base, but the you know, he's he's a, he just had the the highest F floor of any of those four guys. Now, that may have been an aberration based on his so defense. He had a, he had a I'll wait he till he's 370 Babbitt, too. Yeah, hey, hey, I'll wait until he signs to have my case as to positive or negative Dansby Swanson. But either way, he is an impact player in this free agency. Yeah. And I think it would be foolish of him to try to undercut when Carlos Correa could potentially reset the market and offer some additional suitors to him. But that, that's just what I think. It's going to be interesting. I mean, that's why we love the winter meetings. It brings this mm-hmm. this kinds of stuff there. Um, one other thing to mention with the uh, along with the Trey Turner Phillies thing, um, we mentioned Bryce Harper was undergoing surgery uh, for his elbow. It did end up being Tommy John surgery. Uh, the timeline, it, as as what the Phillies are saying right now, is that they kind of expect him to be able to DH in the majors sometime around the All Star break, and that to potentially be able to play the field. Um, by the end of the regular season and into the postseason, be able to be an, a full-time outfielder again. Um, so that's that's something to to keep on track of. They will be missing Bryce until at least sometime in July. It looks like. Yeah, that that really hurts the Phillies because I mean Bryce Harper. Not only has he been their best hitter, and you know arguably still their best hitter over Trey Turner, but he he's also a guy that he means so much to that team. Just he's the spirit of that team too and the star and uh, you know, having him not be able to play till July, middle of July. And then also the fact that when he does come back, you know, obviously it worked out at times this year, especially the postseason. but having him not be able to play the outfield and still having Castellanos and Schwarber both out there, that's painful to watch sometimes. And, uh, but, uh, but I mean, you know, the fact that they'll get him back for the stretch run, you know, they'll there, I think their uh, pathway is kind of more of the, same way it was this year, you know, stay above water, stay above ground, make it into the playoffs, probably is more of a wild card, and then have a good postseason run with these star hitters that they have. I think that's kind of their path again. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. I, I hate to see that he's going to be out so long. Yeah, it absolutely sucks um, for, for Harper and for the Phillies. Uh, but can't wait to see him back on the field because he's, he's electric. But we'll go ahead and move on um, and wrap these up. It's it's a couple personnel moves. Um, the Yankees, you know, we talked about Brian Cashman and his uncertain future there. Um, he had actually been operating so far this year without a contract. Um, the Yankees announced today that they had signed him to a four-year contract extension uh, through the 2026 season. Um, and then former Yankees legend Don Mattingly and Miami Marlins uh, manager uh, has been hired by the Toronto Blue Jays as their new bench coach. Yeah, on Cashman... Um... I am not surprised that they extended him, but he has, there's nobody that does less with more than Brian Cashman. So, I mean, I think it's not a good, I don't think it's a very good move. I would have moved on, but I mean, Hey, um, you never know. We'll see what happens. Yep. Uh, look, the, the Yankees have such a expect expectations 
expectation every season of like winning the World Series, and they spend the money to try to do so, and they're very, very aggressive. And the fact that they have make the playoffs every year, they're very competitive. They had a 100-win team this season, and that that almost wasn't good enough to retain their GM is volumes about how much that Yankees organization expects from its players and expects for its fans. Um, but I think the bigger news today, even with this deal, was that Aaron Judge is expected to be at the winter meetings tomorrow, and the Yankees have reported that they do not have an in-person meeting and do not have the permission to, like, give a final offer to Aaron Judge. So make of that what you will, but kind of looks like Judge may be leaving New York. I don't think that's what it means. I think it just means that I don't know if his market's as close to being finished as we might be thinking it is. Like it just says that he's going to be there to meet with those teams. And maybe that the Yankees haven't been given the insurance that they'll be off, like being given the chance to put a final offer out like against the giants offer. But I mean, they'll still be negotiating with them and and bring a deal. I remember there's no other teams though. You know, like remember remember at the start of the show. And I said that the rumors have been surprisingly accurate this year. Surprisingly, because they're usually not very accurate. (laughs) And the fact of the matter is that maybe, maybe they, you know, maybe he does sign with the giants or the Yankees, but you know, I think a lot of times people put a little too much stock into rumors. So, um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens there. That wasn't even rumor, though. Like that's what they right, right. said. The presser like, was like, "We don't. We didn't even know he was going to yeah, show up." Yeah, but I mean, up, it's you know? the stuff so, like uh, yeah, you know yeah. who, you know who he might be telling, who what he might be thinking. Like people acting like he's not. I mean, I, I wouldn't read too too much into stuff like that. Right. Well, Matt doesn't read too much into it. David does, and I'm in the middle. Perfect. That's what, I think there that's what go. we really learned from this whole episode. That was the most important 10 seconds right there. But, uh, you know, just looking forward and then we'll wrap it up. The, like I said, the winter meetings are this week. Obviously, Monday night we're recording this. So much is going to happen Tuesday uh, through the rest of this week. Um, you know, speaking of rumors or whatever out there, any moves that you guys are interested in seeing or, or something through this this week where action usually happens uh, that either of you guys are actually interested in. Oh, well, <laughs> obviously <laughs> right, I, here, here, here. I will David, cl- give me something non Cubs related, not an in- a move that I'm interested in non Cubs related. Yes. Um, the trade market for Brian Reynolds will be interesting because the pirates came out and said that he would not get traded. Brian Reynolds requested a trade. Um, and, the pirates said no, but we all know that that's just them trying to gain their leverage back. And they are kind of thinking about trading him. Uh, that could impact the NL central. It could impact, uh, the Yankees, Mets, any division, uh, pretty much any, but any team with a need of, for a, probably a left fielder. He was really bad in center field last year, but, but probably a left fielder. He's really good. Um, obviously I would love for the Cubs to be involved in that, but they won't be. It's an in division with an expensive trade target. So, that won't happen. It's definitely not a Cubs related rumor, but yeah, Brian Reynolds, that'd be my non Cubs guy um, to look out for in the coming week. All right, Matt, you non Braves related. Um, to be honest, I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I would agree, but I think Brian Reynolds is a big one. Sean Murphy's another big one. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of teams that need a catcher and, and, there's not a lot of catchers on the market free agent wise. I mean, Wilson Contreras is one, but you know, he's more of a looking for a bat 
you know, than, than being a, than a true looking for a catcher type situation. And I think Sean Murphy is a guy who's going to get moved for a lot more than people kind of realize. So probably Sean Murphy. The issue with that, Matt, is that the Braves no, are not. one of the teams connected they're to Sean out, Murphy. No, they were, uh, Fine yeah, Sand said they're, they're, they're out now. Oh, okay. That was that was yeah. the first. Yeah, that was a rumor. They yeah. they were. Hey, there's a rumor. I'm telling you, these rumors, man. We were all like, <laughs> we were all like, the Braves have four yeah. catchers. What yeah, are they, they already had the Braves yeah. already have three legit big league catchers, and they're gonna trade for another yeah. one. Like, <laughs> but. Mm-hmm. Well, well, you Mr. never know. They could be the the yeah. Oakland yeah. Las Vegas Braves. Yeah. If they yeah, made another trade like that, they could have flipped William Contreras for a shortstop or something too. I mean, you never know, but could have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, just looking forward for me, I think what what I'm really really interested in is that middle tier starting pitching market. Um, you know, out of the big ones, there's only Rodon left, and then you get to the Bassett, the Tyone, the Walker, yeah. the Kodai Senga, the. Um, I know, I know. There's more names. I'm even forgetting there, but just what does that market really look like? Because um, we've seen, you know, these guys, Boyd, Clevenger, Gibson get paid, you know, $10, 12000000 million. What does that middle market look like there? Are we talking over $20 million for those guys a year? Because at that point, it, you know, kind of starts giving you a yeah, little and, scared. And, yeah, um, I was going to say one more thing. I don't think we've seen a single outfielder get signed yet, like a big out. Like, not, I mean, we might have seen a no. couple one-year deals at some point. But, like, I mean, there's a lot of outfielders out there this year. There's obviously Judge. And Nemo, and but then you still got like Mitch Haniger. Um, you've got you know uh, guys like that. Cody Bellinger's out there, like Kevin Kiermaier. All these like, there's a lot of outfielders out there, and none of them have been moved on yet. So that'll be really interesting to see. And I, th- I bet we see a couple of those come pretty soon too. I think the shortstops are kind of gumming everything Maybe. up. A lot of those teams that are also needing an outfielder are. Yeah. big focused on the shortstops the the Padres need yeah. an outfielder the Cubs will probably need an outfielder the you know there yeah. there'll be some the some that, other ones there the teams but that don't get their shortstop that they want probably pivot to doing a cheaper option at shortstop and then going and getting a big outfielder is probably what'll end up happening right so, yeah. um, but we'll see yeah and 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 that's the thing like uh you know, I'll wrap it up on this just because of that but you mentioned Bellinger there Andrew Friedman was talking today uh, to the media and they they asked him about you know what was it the negotiations looking like with Bellinger and he still even said that he's very early in trying to figure out what his market even looks like um so that take that for what you will but uh, it seems like that outfit market is being a really slow moving uh moving thing because I mean there was a ton of teams that were going to be interested in in Bellinger right away and if he's still early on in that process that kind of gives you um you know, what people are thinking that he's probably going to be a fallback option for, for a Nemo or whatever. But uh, anyways, that'll wrap it up for this episode um, of the bat flip podcast. We will probably be back next week uh, depending on who signs, um, but thank you guys for tuning in and we'll catch you guys next week.